Andrew Gazdecki, founder and CEO of Acquire these days, not MicroAcquire anymore, even though you have MicroAcquire behind you as a nod to history and legacy and your origin story. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for uh, having me, Johnny. And uh, that MicroAcquire logo, it's painted on my wall. So my, <laughs> my, my, my options are repaint the wall. That's never going to happen. And then I, then I bought these like stickers and just put one over it. And then I was like, we're going to keep micro choir. Just remember, you know, where we, where we came from. So this is a good, obviously the aim of these, this podcast is, uh, you know, tangible, specific, concrete advice for founders. And we've, we've uh, hit it out of the park in 30 seconds of the podcast. Guys, if you're if you're putting your brand on the wall, don't use paint, use use Velcro. No, lesson use, use, number one. Use, use paint and keep it. Don't forget, where, <laughs> don't forget where you came from. Be proud of your origins, lesson number two. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Maybe you could start by just giving us the high-level overview on Acquire. Yeah, uh, Acquire.com is a marketplace that helps uh, founders get acquired. Awesome. I, I can go, de- sure. I can go sure. way deeper than that. Point. I guess... <laughs> Uh, it, it's cool the way you kind of came to start the company. You've talked about this. You had a couple of companies that exited. You found the process kind of extremely cumbersome. Uh, so you decided to fix that process. But can you say a little bit more about, you know, that that journey of you and that kind of discovery and maybe some of the ways in which the, the process was broken as you experienced it that you kind of set out to fix? Yeah, I think, you know, when it, when it comes to acquisitions for a lot of startup founders, they're kind of hoping and praying that someone approaches them you know google shows up with a giant check and says congrats you're acquired but (laughs) it it doesn't work like that and there's a saying called uh businesses are bought not sold and that is true but only true for like the 0.01 percent of startups that are just growing like crazy everyone wants to buy them but for the majority of startups, it's called the 99.9%, uh, you have to sell your business. And so what that means is understanding due diligence, understanding how to find buyers. Even that was difficult. Uh, and then the legal process and how to prepare your startup for sale. So I just thought there was such a huge gap in specifically the startup ecosystem where we have all this education on how to launch a product, like discovery platforms, um, investment platforms like you know, WeFunder being one of them. Uh, but there was nothing really for the exit. And so I thought that void could be beneficial. And I uh, and really enjoy running it. That's a very biased uh, opinion on the company. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought, you know, the exit is arguably the most important part of the founder's journey. But there's there's so limited resources in terms of education, tools, innovation, making the process easier for founders. And so, you know, that's our, our mission is to build the world's most uh, founder-friendly marketplace. Yeah, you've talked about that that you're kind of really focused on the founder as a customer. Uh, and, you know, if you can build a great product for founders, you get the best companies on acquire.com, then hopefully the, the kind of demand side uh, takes care of itself. What are some of the lessons that you can give to founders um, in terms of thinking about, you know, and maybe early on in the journey, right? Like maybe that's one of the lessons, like when's a good time to think about exit, right? Is that something you think about on day one? Or when do you kind of start to think about that? And like, I guess you probably had some pain points, right? You probably made some mistakes with the companies that you exited. Like, what are some tangible learnings that you would advise, you know, founders to to think about when it comes to the exit? Yeah, definitely. 
I would definitely say, you know, think about it from from day one, at least preparing, you know, a data room where you just kind of have some light information because you never know who could come knock. And if you're just prepared, it just makes the conversation that much easier. And obviously, you don't want to open up a data room to your largest competitor just because they emailed you, you know, but you never know. You really never know when that moment might come. And maybe a you know personal anecdote would be with my first company, Business Apps. You know, we had we hired an investment bank at one point to sell the company, and it was a super expensive process. It was like one hundred fifty thousand upfront, eight hundred thousand minimum uh, closing fee, just outrageous. Like I, I remember telling him, like, uh, you guys have the coolest job in the world. I do all this work, <laughs> and then you guys <laughs> come in at the end. But you know, we we ended up you know getting some some offers, uh, you know, turn turn them down. But I guess you know the the lesson there is you know only only go to market to sell your startup or to be acquired when you're when you're ready you know i think a lot of founders kind of bounce around with the idea and that turns buyers off so quickly i mean it's kind of like fundraising right it's like if if you're not ready to fundraise or it's kind of like you know dipping your toe in the water then it's like it's gonna take longer it's not a good signal and it's like now you want to commit to it like okay we're building the product we're building the product okay now we're fundraising okay now we'll get back to building the products and it sounds like yeah same same advice on acquisitions like it's there's dangers in kind of being like one foot in like kind of just tentatively exploring it you kind of want to commit to it when you're ready to commit to it yeah and the, and the reason for that is because a buyer is going to do a lot of work it's not like they just look at your website and say here's millions of dollars that was thank you goodbye <laughs> you know they need to understand how your product works uh, your team composition right. your financials uh, how are you acquiring customers how are you retaining customers what do people love about your business what do they hate about your business what are growth opportunities which is a huge time suck yeah it de- it definitely can be and so you know when when buyers feel like again there are exceptions if your business is just like it's it's worth the effort um, but most businesses businesses, you know, are, you know, they're not growing a thousand percent year over year or a hundred percent year over year. And so if you're in that bucket, you know, when you go to market, um, being serious with a buyer just really clears a lot of stuff up. I think that was a mistake I made where I always mm. felt like when selling a business, you wanted to do this weird dance of like, we're not for sale, but like we're, mm. we're, we're definitely for sale if you say the right price, but we're not for sale, really. You know. Did you see that? Did you see the last episode of Succession? I did not know. Dude, you don't watch that show? We no, just haven't got around to. I don't. Actually, this is like Succession. This is like you. I know you're a Silicon Valley fan because I want to. I want to talk about the Russ Hanneman thing, but you, you should watch Succession, man. They're selling the business right now. I feel like you know you're like the, the Logan Roy of uh, what's that? You don't <laughs> I, even I, get the reference. I, I I have watched um, Billions, and uh, some people on my team have told me Succession. Like I would love it, so it's it's on my list. I'll get I'll get to it. One you were talking about like the time investment, right? And like yeah, kind of the dance of like I you know it's interesting advice. Like no, like don't do the dance. Like be serious, be committed, invest the time. Like if there's a buyer, if you want to sell, like you know make invest that time, move the prices forward with alacrity. But I, I guess kind of a horror story I've heard right from many founders over the years it's like well there was this potential buyer you know invested this ton of time 
process took months even like sometimes a year and then at the end of it didn't go through and it's like oh my goodness what an absolute like waste of time is there anything or what are the best ways that you can mitigate against against that risk that is a really really good question because it can be very 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 damaging if you sign an LOI tell your whole team that you're selling the business and then yeah. the deal doesn't go through yeah and that that happens and I unfortunately see it you know somewhat frequently and it's it's painful the best advice there is so when you do get to a buyer where you're serious, you know, really press them and do due diligence on them in terms of like right, right off the bat, how are you going to fund this acquisition? Do you, do you even have the capital? Right. It's perfectly appropriate to ask for a bank statement or some sort of proof of funds. Uh, two, asking- That's, you that's know, great advice. That is brilliant. That is exactly what this podcast is here for. Tangible yeah, kind of like, secrets and advice is awesome. What else? So I'll, I'll tell you kind of what I personally did. So with, with business apps, I sold to a private equity firm. So private equity firms, uh, for those that don't know what they do, they're just companies that buy companies. And the firm that I sold to uh, had bought a, a lot of companies. And so I did my own due diligence and reached out to prior CEOs of the P firm just because I wanted to understand when they issue an LOI, what percent of those close and across the board it was like 95 percent like how do you know that though because isn't it like you only you only see the the founders that they actually went ahead and did the deal with or did you have insight into actually yeah, companies that they signed LOIs with that then the deal didn't go through yeah that's a good point i mean you're never going to be 100 percent sure because you could go into due diligence and they're going to find something they don't like that happens every yeah, single yeah, time sure. in due diligence yeah, yeah so you know i think if you can get to a point where you can have like a candid conversation with the buyer before you sign the LOI, because there's uh, clauses within an LOI that can be detrimental to your sales process if you sign the wrong LOI. And what I mean by that is, let's say you run a process and you get you know five different buyers submitting offers on your business. And if you sign the LOI with the wrong buyer, they have um, locked you up for a period of time. There's a no shop clause, which means that you cannot go and speak to those four other buyers for usually a period of like two to three months, because that's when they're going to be conduct conducting due diligence. And I think it's a completely fair term just because if you're not willing to sign a non-solicitation clause, then you're, you're probably, you know, you're, you're one foot in. So it's, it's a way of, you know, coming together with the buyer and saying, we understand that you're going to spend a lot of time on due diligence and we are too, we are committing to you as the potential buyer. So, you know, if, if you don't ask questions before signing that LOI, like how many deals have you done? How mm -hmm. many LOIs have you issued that didn't go through? Do you have any references that you can give me of startups, businesses that you've acquired that I can speak to and understand your process? And then, oh, by the way, what is your process? How long will due diligence take? Mm. Um, again, going back to verifying funds, once again, how is this going to be financed? Is it with debt? Is it with, you know, whatever it may be? Um, uh, like, where are the, where is the source of the funds coming from? How long do you think due diligence is going to take? That's another fair question. Is it a 30-day process, 60, 90? You know, obviously some things have come up that could move those things around. But what you're doing is you're doing due diligence on the buyer because when you enter that agreement, you know, you want it to close. And so just by asking those simple questions, you dramatically yeah. increase your chance of close. And when you're in due diligence, just another, you know, little tip is they're like, they're going to find something they hate. You know, every buyer finds something. Like with business apps, we had too many support tickets. 
Like true story, like the acquisition almost didn't go through because we have mm. too many support tickets, but we would mm. answer them in like two minutes and their average handle time was, I think like 30 minutes or something like that. So they were just mm. like, how do you answer all these questions? Why are there so many questions? Mm. And so we had to like reposition the business. Like, Hey, like our support team is like super stellar. Um, you should maybe run your other companies like this. But what, <laughs> what I, yeah. but what I also did on the side, um, was I never stopped selling. When you're when you sign an LOI, I think a big mistake that a lot of founders make is they think they've sold the business and they just kind of got to answer these questions now and then mm -hmm. they then yay it's you know I I got acquired but you you need to sell into the end and so what I was always doing was just popping up you know growth opportunities like I modeled out literally a price increase strategy and I just recorded you know a video and just send it off to the firm just I do that all the time I'd be like oh here's a bunch of product ideas here's a pricing increase strategy here's this other thing you know outbound sales we've never tried it um, but we did for like three months here's how it went here's mm -hmm. like some marketing opportunities that we have done so I was constantly giving them other things so when they found right. that one thing that they did not like I, I had all this other stuff that I was like, well, here's all of this other yeah. good stuff since, for you to focus on. Since you signed on. the LOI, okay, you found more CS tickets, but you also, like, we've also shared all this other stuff on the other side, yeah. Yeah, so that totally mitigated that. You know, obviously we had to have a conversation and talk about how do we answer questions so fast. And a lot of it was just macros. Macro means just basically copy and paste. Um, like, I want to cancel my account. How do I upload my app? How do I, you know, very basic questions that can be answered just with templates that we had built in. So we had to explain that. But because I had shared, you know, other exciting parts continuing to keep them excited about the business, it made the process just really smooth. And we didn't have any, you know, points where it was like, is this going to fall through? Because that, it can be detrimental. I mean, if you've told your team and you leave your team kind of like, are you going right. to, where, where are we now? So that was my biggest fear. And just by doing things like that to continue to sell the business as you're in process and not like in a used car salesman type way, but yeah, just pointing out more growth opportunities, more, you know, more reasons for them to be excited about your business. Yeah. Any other mistakes that you made or I mean, you've seen now a lot of founders go through the process uh, thanks to Acquire, but what are some of the other most common pitfalls and mistakes that, um, you know, founders that are maybe at the start of that process of trying to find a buyer should should be aware of and look to avoid? I think the, 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 the so let me walk through the process of just selling your business like really fast. So this is assuming you, you're ready to sell, you have a good business. Um, if you have a bad business, it's a like one that's just losing money and you need to get out of it. Um, like it's going to go bankrupt. That's that's a different strategy. Um, but let's assume yeah. you know you again, it's a parallel with fundraising, right? It's like a lot harder to fundraise if you don't have a business that's up and to the right. It, it, a lot yeah. harder to sell your business if it's going bankrupt next month. Yeah, the way yeah. I say it is, it's it's really hard to sell a liability unless it's growing like crazy. You know, so if mm -hmm. your business is losing a bunch of money and it's it doesn't have a sign or path towards break even and profitability, it's gonna be really tough. So the process of selling a startup. So preparation is so key. It's literally the most probably the most important part of the process because the other parts of the process will not work unless you prepare your startup. There are certain items that buyers have to have. And if you don't prepare them in advance, you kind of get dinged on valuation. Like you kind of mm -hmm. get what I would call maybe just the professionalism in terms of you bringing the business to market and the seriousness. Because right. what you want to do is you want to create a perception of this business isn't 
I'm not trying to sell this business. I'm going to sell the business. And it's not just a matter of if, it's just a matter of who I'm going to sell it to. So preparing your financials, having a clean and, and, Right, like it's it's optics, right? If you have everything neatly presented in a data room in exactly the right format that that, you know, PE buyer is expecting to see, then they're going to have more confidence right out the gate that probably other aspects of business apps is going to be well run as well. Yeah, I mean, also what it does is it goes, okay, there's a deal going down here. This person knows what they're right. doing um, yeah. to some extent. Yeah, to some extent, not even like the best, you know, brokers and investment banks um, run some some funky processes, but it shows that, you know, you're you're putting a lot of effort into this and that you're looking to make a sale. And again, that signals to the buyer that you're not going to waste their time. And then you're also making it incredibly easy for them to make a decision on whether or not this is something they want to pursue. So I guess the the second part of that is obviously marketing your business. So that'd be reaching out to buyers um, or just listing it on acquire and you kind and I just get in front of everybody all at once. Um, shameless plug. ABC. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, you know, from there you're in negotiations, you're speaking with a lot of buyers, you're building goodwill. I'd say that's probably, you know, one big personal tip right there in the middle is, is goodwill. So on your first call with a potential acquirer, you know, this is called a buyer business, you know, keep it high level, talk about sports, talk about your favorite color, like talk about like, I've, I've rarely seen an acquisition go through unless there's some sort of goodwill where the two Mm. individuals, the the owner and the firm or whoever just aren't getting along. Like if there's tension, if there's this weird dance or this, like it goes going back to we're for sale, but not for sale. There needs to be some level of, you know, trust and goodwill because during an acquisition, both parties are going to feel uncomfortable. The buyer, their whole job is trying to de-risk the acquisition and understand the business and figure out if it's worth, you know, right. the, uh, the price that you're asking for, or, you know, figuring out how to value it, whatever. Um, and then your job as a seller is to make all that easier for the buyer. So, you know, if, if you get questions that annoy you, that's one thing I did. Like, you know, I was pretty kind of tense when I was selling my first business because you put so much blood, sweat, and tears. And then they say something like, why did you, I remember this, 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 <laughs> yeah. liter, this, this why liter, are you doing that great strategy? Well, this well, seems well, like well, a terrible idea. Here's, here's a real example. So, um, this doesn't, this didn't, didn't tank that, the tank, the acquisition. Um, excuse me. I told you my throat was a little raspy today, but we had a question from the choir and it was a good one. And he said, why did you build this platform in a custom CMS? And why don't you just use like a framework? And we were like, oh, like, cause what? <laughs> like, cause it's, I don't know, badass. And he's yeah. like, he's like, well, you could have just use like this one, correct? And we were like super offended by it and acted kind of spicy, if you will. But the correct response is, you know, at the time we felt custom was best. But yeah, you're right. We could have used a framework, but we kind of made it. We tried to, you know, like, you know, make it sound like. Just be like defensive about the decision you made. Yeah. So don't be defensive about questions like that. You know, like sometimes like, you know, these individuals and these firms buying your businesses are very smart, you know, and that's how they would build your your business. Or they have different views on support or how your market, whatever it may be. Just not being like tense and just being very mm. responsive and easy to work with. Again, increases your odds of, you know, successful training. It's just like sales. It's just like sales think, and just like fundraising. I think that's a great quote, right? It's just like sales. It's just like fundraising. Like sometimes, yeah, you maybe kind of see it as like transaction 
emotional, but like if you see it as sales and you see it as kind of relationship based, go to play golf with them or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and just just let me let me continue on that for just one second. Like the point I was trying to get to is people buy from people they like. It's the truest, right. you know, um, quote um ever because you know once you sell a business there's always a transition period very rarely are you out on closing day day one you know it's either like a short one is like three months a long one is four years but you know again going back to building that goodwill and like not souring the relationship even during due diligence just with the realization that you're gonna have to continue to work with this person so i've seen deals blow up just because not because the business was bad but just the The relationship was like i just can't see you know this being uh like it, it just got too tense or what have you so um hey that's man, if if you watch succession that's another lesson that you would have learned in the latest episode you're you're um you're you're selling uh a choir um where you know if you are selling your business why not get in front of all the buyers at once at acquire.com i'm i'm mostly focusing this podcast on uh selling you watching succession that's my my aim for, <laughs> for today uh, we, we we got it we got a deal on that i'll i'll fire it up tonight <laughs> is it on that i gotta pay like showtime though I'll, I'll, uh yeah i'll get back HBO, to you on that hbo or max or whatever they whatever they call it these days speaking of branding which is a topic i want to cover in a few minutes but before we get to that you mentioned something earlier which is something that i'm always i always kind of think about as like competitor right you, your competitor might acquire you right how, but that seems like whoa pretty risky yeah. how do you how do you think about the founder kind of you know going down that road and any any kind of you know risks there or any ways to mitigate your competitor getting all the information on you and then deciding they don't want to do the transaction and using it to beat you yeah, those ones, you know, I, I recommend, you know, if anything, going really light on it, because even them knowing that you're looking to sell the business, they could use that against you or something like that. Like, oh, tell their customers, mm-hmm. depending how like head to head you guys are. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in every sales call, for instance, I'm telling my whole team like, well, they're trying to sell. So like they might not be around. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wouldn't personally do that, but I don't know. People, you know, do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when you reach out to a potential competitor, you know, you want to first step is, you know, see if there's a strategic partnership to be made because you really need when you compete with people, sometimes, you know, it can they're not necessarily like your best friends. So that's when you really need to clear the goodwill bar. Like, can I work for this founder or the founders? Are they interested in a conversation? But just saying something like, hey, Ashley or John or whomever, Andrew from Acquire, I've been thinking about, you know, some strategic synergies between or two companies uh do you have 30 minutes to meet and that'll tell you a lot if they're interested Mm -hmm. and you're just saying strategic partnership but that's kind of code word for china's on my business right and then from there you just get on the phone and just say hey we've been thinking about it we've had other buyers um interested obviously i've always respected you as a competitor but then when you start getting into you know the weeds of your business how it works how it operates you know more often than not, they're going to know probably everything about your business. That, that's, a, that's a great point. Like, I know how my competitors operate. You know, it's like, like, uh, like not going to reveal that much more in a 30 minute call. They're not going like, to, they're not going to. Yeah. That's one thing that I, I always find funny is like, well, if you give them like a free test account, like they're going to know the pro, <laughs> like, dude, they, their, their mom has a test account, their uncle, yeah. their friend, like your yeah. competitors have been in your product for years. Like, 
Like they know right, how right. it works. They've seen every marketing email. They've seen every video. Um, so, but I mean, pieces in terms of like financials and stuff like that, obviously you want to go under NDA. I'd recommend going and meeting the person if they're in, you know, your area, perhaps um, that shows a, because then you can, you know, it's, I remember um, Christian Friedland, uh, my, my, my angel investor in business apps, he gave me this like really good quote. He said, you know, it's, it's really hard to fuck over a person when you've, sh- when you've shaken their hand, mm. you know, when, when you really looked him in the eye and I don't, he's, like, he swears a lot. So yeah, <laughs> that's on him. But um, anyways, but it's true when you meet, when you meet people in person. So maybe you have a really fierce competitor. Every time I've met like my competition, like they're just, they're super nice people. And like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the thing when you're on the field, you're really competitive, but when you're off, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're both people with families, kids, what have you. But if you're really concerned, I would recommend next steps just being like, let's meet in person, discuss, mm-hmm. even make sense. Hmm. Switching gears a little from, you know, kind of mistakes that founders might make in getting acquired and the process of getting acquired. Curious about like, you know, some of your learnings, mistakes that you've made, like starting the companies you've had build, building companies. One one kind of pretty specific question I'm quite curious of. Our businesses are pretty similar. You know, we fund is helping founders raise raise a community round, raise capital, you're helping founders sell their businesses, you know, to an extent, there's a product and there's software, but to an extent, you know, like we're helping founders understand the regulation crowdfunding rules and think about how they should, you know, structure their page and okay, what's the right kind of fundraising playbook and strategy and all these things. And we're always trying to figure out like, are we a product company or a services company? And like how much handholding and support do we as a team provide? versus like you know getting out the way and it's all self-service and so for for what you're doing i mean obviously this is like probably the most important you know moment of a founder's entire journey right that they've put years of work into this building this business and now they're gonna sell it it's it's kind of like selling a house right it's like the biggest financial transaction you will do in your whole life selling a house and it's a process that you have very little kind of visibility and like understanding of and so you really kind of want someone to to hold your hand how how do you guys think about striking that balance between you know this is totally self-service and we're making videos and guides and whatever but like you're kind of on your own versus like, no, you're going to get tons of handholding and support from the acquire team every step of the way. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we do provide that because it's necessary. Um, I would say more on a therapeutic level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got a nice big couch where founders can come and lie down on and you give them a massage. I mean, a sometimes, you know, a buyer drags the process out longer than expected and the seller gets frustrated and it's really because the buyer just is taking they need more time and you know the seller needs to prevail with a cooler head and or you know most recently like today i talked to a founder that uh, was going through an acquisition and they changed a term last minute we reviewed it um looked fine and the deal is going to close hopefully tomorrow or friday fingers crossed um so we we do help founders in terms of you know how do you run a process how do you 
prepare your startups? What materials do you need? So if anyone's listening to this podcast and they go on this on Acquire, my team will reach out to you proactively or you can reach out to my team and we have, uh, you know, uh, materials such as an example PL if you don't have one, an example SIM, which is a big, basically book on your business called a confidential information memorandum. We have a due diligence checklist that we share with founders. So we do a lot of this preparation. And then on top of that, uh, we do a lot of targeted buyer outreach too, because you want to hit buyers all at one time. So just like fundraising, you have everybody start at the finish line at the same time and you control that process. You say, I'm going to go live today. I'm going to take calls with buyers for the next you know, two, three weeks. After that, I'm not taking any additional calls and I'm going to focus on just the buyers I've spoken to. And then from there, I'm going to set a deadline for at least a verbal offer or an indicative offer. And then based off of that, we're going to do, you know, a series of pre-due diligence meetings to get to a formal offer, an LOI. And so we coach founders on all this and we'll kind of be in the background. So we don't do as heavy lifting as say a brokerage firm. A brokerage firm would do everything that we do plus the buyer calls. And that's really just a filter of, you know, filtering the non-serious buyers and the serious buyers and doing that at scale is we're not trying to build a brokerage firm and trying to, you know, create a, a more streamlined and efficient process to selling your business. So there is a bit of education that founders need to uh, go through when they sell their business. But we do definitely hand help and hold quite quite a bit just because it increases the odds of startups getting acquired. And that's our whole, our whole purpose of existing. Yeah, it's kind of like the the age-old example in marketplaces, right, of Airbnb kind of taking the professional photos to, you know, make hosts' um, apartments look amazing. And then they saw, you know, volume on the platform go through the roof. It's like, yeah, uh, kind of hand-holding, you know, in your case, the the founder side of the marketplace, the seller side of the marketplace can can help um, yeah, even your goal of like getting companies acquired. Yeah, even little things like we we have a process where we'll review your listing page. So we'll give you guidance on valuation, how you've described your company, materials that you've included for buyers to review all before you go live. So yeah, kind of like how does your Airbnb listing look? Will this attract buyers? Um, are there things that maybe you should add or leave out or maybe re word. Um, so we'll help as, as much as we possibly can to put the, the founder and the owner of the startup just in the best position to create as much interest in buyers as possible. Do you have any kind of advice or guidance on kind of maybe what to watch out for there? Because I mean, you're a SaaS guy, right? I, I would imagine there's like a risk. This is something I think about with WeFunder that like, if we make the process like super labor intensive, and you know, founders are just relying on, you know, the WeFunder team to handhold them all the way, then firstly, the economics on that for us are a lot less um, attractive. And then secondly, you know, does do you then kind of get lazy and you kind of build a team and you build a product that's like, you know, super kind of, you know, account manager heavy, and like, you're getting sloppy on the product side do, do you know what i mean like how, how, do you yeah. do you think about that kind of trade-off and that risk and how do you how do you kind of guard against that yeah i mean the the, the businesses that you know i've 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 built like business apps as an example. Our our biggest department was customer service. And right. we sold that as our biggest competitive advantage mm. to our competitors. And we would have competitors at every sales call. So 
I'm a big advocate of, you know, being there for your customers, having phone support, uh, being available for checking calls, stuff like that. It does, you know, reduce margins. Everyone would love, I call everyone, everyone tries to build the vending machine is kind of what I call it. (laughs) Yeah. Where someone just shows up. 99% gross margin. Yeah. Yeah. Just basically enter, puts in their credit card (laughs) and they, they sign up for 10,000. sold their company. Yeah. 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 Like the, the, the business that just sits there, no one has any questions like Calendly like Calendly is a counterling <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they have a they probably have a sales team now but yeah. it's such a simple product people pay for it like product led growth all the way but for the majority of the businesses you can grow faster by so it's not really a trade-off it's really adding an advantage to your business and a service that your customers need to be successful that's how I've thought about it at least but there there are trade-offs I mean we have you know tools to build legal documents tools to build um, profit and loss statements uh, tools to build purchase agreements. Right. But sometimes we'll even loop in an attorney if the deal Mm. is really complex. So Mm. it just depends. I think there's a a good balance you want to achieve because we do do help startups sell at scale and we can't, you know. Right. You can't spend like a hundred hours on a startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a balance where you got to have a a good process in place. um, And that's just really just building the systems um, with your team where, you know, at first you're kind of figuring it out and then you kind of nail that process. Process, then you scale it. You mentioned sales there. To, to what extent have you built sales teams either for Acquire or um, previous companies and any any lessons or tips, secrets on, you know, mistakes to avoid there or kind of, you know, how to how to do that as best you can? Yeah. The number one mistake that founders always make when building a sales team is you you have to show your team how to sell. There's no other way, in my opinion. Like you can tell them, but it doesn't work. They won't believe. And so every sales team I've I've built, I'm always the first account executive. I'm always the first SDR. I'm always the first one writing the emails, creating the marketing materials. And then once you kind of bring back that first deal, because we recently added a lot of these services to acquire because we're going to start adding commissions in June. And this is part of the offering is where we, you know, we now have an incentive to really help you sell. So you're not on your own and you feel like right, you have right. someone in your corner. It's not as hands-on as again a full brokerage firm right but we give you everything that you need and essentially all you have to do is speak with buyers and we get you in front of them more efficiently and really you know help you get acquired you know faster than them than before but yeah in terms of sales like you got to do it yourself as a founder and you got to say look this works and then you make mm-hmm. a playbook out of it and then you hire someone that is more of a, a scaler than a builder. I consider myself a builder. So instead of mm. figuring out the perfect plan, I always like to just get in there and, and figure Zero out the sales one. process and then kind of do a someone retrospective. Else can, someone else can figure out how to scale up from there. Yep, exactly. What about on the marketing side? I mean, I feel like you're you're a genius uh, when it comes to marketing. Um, two of my favorite uh, examples, I tried, I tried to plagiarize you on this and you graciously said it was fair game, but like the, the video where you... I think it was maybe on Cameo where you had uh, Ross Hanneman, what it's Chris something uh, who plays him, right? And you yeah. you had him kind of talk about uh, Acquire, which I feel like went, went pretty viral. And then the campaign to get Elon to give you the Twitter handle of Acquire. 
and you just got like thousands yeah. of stands just like retweeting Elon, like give free, what is it like free acquired? <laughs> Didn't you go outside of the Twitter office? Like so, such uh, brilliant examples. I don't, I don't know quite what the question is, but um, maybe are there other, even kind of talk more about that. Like the, these are kind of like beautifully specific kind of interesting anecdotes. Are there other other ones like that? Or like talk, talk more about the Twitter one because that's just like scratching the surface. But this is it's so rich, so fun, like so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So when I think of marketing, you know, I think of marketing, the best marketing doesn't feel like marketing and it's fun so in terms of like the twitter handle i don't really care that much but if i if i get it great but <laughs> it's coming didn't didn't elon uh, reply and say like oh we're gonna revisit this in a couple of months so watch this space or something it's coming yeah man. you know it, it's, it's just it, it's just something for you know it would be i i would i would like to have it but i'm not gonna lose sleep over it yeah. um, but it was fun and it was fun with like the, my team and we we're all laughing and you bake you know, cakes right what would you do in the cake yeah, we send them we send them cakes um just to see if we can get a reaction out of, you know, Elon Musk, like one of the most brilliant, you know, inventors of our time. Uh and you know, it's kind of one of those things where you think about the probability of him, you know, actually doing it, uh giving us a handle. It's probably like 0.01%, but you know, if if it's fun and you know that one percent is you know worth it then go for it but that's how i think about marketing is you're and it's kind of on that on that specifically right it's like ithaca right if you know that poem it's like the journey is the point uh not the destination and like the 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 marketing campaign like is the cakes and the pictures and like getting all your fans to like you know ask elon and like that is the marketing in itself whether or not you eventually get the demand yeah i mean it's it's just it's fun and it's also i think it's part of our brand where you know i think the acquire brand in my mind stands for you know shooting your shot and going forward and you know i like to inspire other entrepreneurs and i think you know, having an ass that big to the, you know, richest person in the world who owns like eight different companies. And it just, you know, it, at first it was, it started as like a joke or like a, a small ask. And then um, it started really inspiring people like, yeah, dude, go shoot your shot. Mm-hmm. So we, we kept going with it and uh it, it was it, it was fun we're all done now the cakes were the final sort of hey like we're, it's been fun we're good uh but yeah i mean when you think about marketing you have people just running the same playbooks you know ads uh boring ebooks stuff like that but when you're able to find a way to entertain your audience get them rooting for you uh really turn you know people into fans of what you're doing and you know, I think Richard Branson is probably a good example of this, where he does yeah, marketing for, like Virgin, stunts. Like the tank, the tank, right, for the launch of Virgin Cola, wasn't it? Yeah. Like a tank at Times Square it, or something. Yeah, and it just gets yeah. you talking about um, the business. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the approaches to marketing I've, I've always loved. And I think marketing is one of the parts of a business, including product and really every department. But you can be so creative and you can have so much fun. You can make people laugh. And when you make people laugh, they remember your brand because no one remembers are boring so i mean there's the the russ hanneman one and the um and the uh the twitter handle elon give us uh you know acquire are there are there other like ones that you 
you just kind of love? Those, I mean, every day we're, I'm, I'm marketing acquire. I mean, I love celebrating customers as well. So when we have like an acquisition close, sometimes we have a Slack room that when it's, when it closes, it goes dit, like, you know, million dollar startup closed or something like that. So sometimes I've seen, take, I've seen those, uh, I've seen those uh, screenshots. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll that. take those yeah. and then, uh, I'll just blur out the business name for confidentiality and then share those. And I think that's just a, a fun way of just, I'll even share the 10 K ones and the hundred K ones. And it's just another right. way of inspiring people and just being creative with your, your marketing where you're showing social proof, but then you're also showing and reminding people what your company stands for. Oh, we did buy a bunch of billboards on uh, Times Square. We have more coming. Uh, I'm excited about those. And then one time we did buy billboards on some little um, yacht. We called it the micro yacht at the time. And it, it was just testimonials from customers. We just put them on there. That's and then cool. On Twitter, share the image and everyone thought yeah that's so cool yeah they're, re they're really cheap to produce but just stuff like that like celebrate customers I like, I like billboards i like outdoor advertising that then you just like turn into a video or a picture and then like that's where the value is like we <laughs> this is kind of unrelated you know susanna on our team um, Do you know her? I, I, I believe, yeah. yeah. You probably have come across her, but uh, she's our president now. For her birthday, for her 30th birthday, we bought a billboard in downtown Nashville. And um, we put like a really silly of her photo of her in a birthday hat on this billboard. And it said, we fund her invest in birthdays. And it was wefund.com slash Sue's. And if you clicked on the link, it went to this like really weird, like wacky page that our engineers built that would like play this stupid music. Thankfully, like basically no one clicked the link, but yeah. Yeah, and then we kind of, she was in town, so we like walked her past the billboard and then turned her around and like videoed her reaction as she saw her face on the thing. But yeah, it's a similar principle of like, it's fun, it's joyful and yeah, it's offline. And then we, you know, took a photo of that and that's, you know, evergreen, even though the billboard, you know, comes down next month, like you've always got that um, photo of the, the micro yacht. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is, you know, building a startup is, is so damn hard. Like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, but you know, the more you can make it fun, not just for yourself, but for your team and your customers, the easier the journey is and just the funner it is. You know, if you can somehow find a way to make it fun, enjoyable, make yourself laugh, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, it's just in my experience, it's the easiest way to avoid burnout, keeps you excited about the business. And I, I, I also always say if it's if it's if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. So I always try to have fun with our marketing. Just to build on that, I'm kind of curious, like I'm a pretty analytical person, I would say, started my career for my sins in management consulting. So, you know, I've never met an Excel model uh, or a basic SQL query that I don't love. Uh, you know, love the Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed. Like, do you like, do you think about analytics in marketing? Like, how do you strike the balance between having fun and joyful and we send a cake to Twitter? It's like hard to measure the ROI probably on sending a bunch of cakes to, to Elon. But I would imagine you also have a pretty data-driven lens to, to grow. So how, like, how do you, is that, is there a contradiction there or how do you, how do you measure the, the return on, you know, Andrew's kind of jokey tweets? Yeah. I mean, the one way to measure brand is just type your company name into, um, 
SEO search tool and see how many results you get. Like for example, I think MicroQuire before the rebrand was at like 9,000 searches per month, which is pretty high, but that's an indication of how strong your brand is. So that's one way to measure it. But measuring brand marketing, it's difficult because there's no direct attribution. You're not telling them to really mm-hmm. go anywhere, right? but it's powerful. I've, I've always believed that, you know, you know, when you compete on brand, you're in a race to the top, you know, people want to work with, mm. you know, the, the top brand in the space, most well-known brand in the space, most mm. well liked brand in the space, the brand that understands the customer the best in the space. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to measure 100%. But we do see, you know, you know, outputs in terms of, you know, a surge of buyers come in, where do they come from? Oh, well, probably this marketing stunt we just pulled. Or, Site traffic, maybe. Uh... Yeah, so there's there's some lagging indicators, but nothing direct like a paid ad campaign can deliver. But if if you do good brand marketing, it can be one of your biggest competitive advantages, in my opinion. You've talked about you, your brand acquires brands being, uh, I think you said the word fun, but what, what does the brand stand for? And how do you, like, are you very deliberate and like, okay, you guys know the five words that the brand stands for because we did a three-day offsite when we really focused on doing it and you're like, you know, super kind of strategic about it? Or is it more kind of just like it evolves and it's pretty fluid and, you know, we kind of figure it out as we go along? Yeah, good question. We have, um, so day one, when anyone joins the company, I have a brand book that I walk everyone through in terms of our brand personality or our culture, our values, our mission, our vision, our purpose, um, all those things are really, really, really our customer, you know, all that stuff is so important because it keeps just alignment within the company. So to yeah. answer your question, yeah, we do have um, a bunch of words. indoctrination. Indoctrination is strong at acquire. Yeah, you know, we don't take ourselves <laughs> like we don't take ourselves too seriously to the point where it's like, <laughs> yeah. we need but it's what we it's what we strive to be, I think more than anything. Yeah, cool. This has been awesome, man. Really fun conversation. Any last any last secret to uh, to leave people with? Andrew uh, Gazdek is a secret to building an awesome company and having a ton of fun uh, and joy along the way. I, I would say, you know, just just serve a customer that you understand and love. You know that I think when 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 there's good, strong founder mm. market fit, product mm. market fit, everything comes so much easier when you understand your customer. You like enjoying, you enjoy interacting with them. You know where to find them. Like you just understand them, and you have unique insights that maybe other don't. And that is a huge mm. bit of advantage. So, and then you'll just go the distance because if you serve dentists and you hate dentists, uh, no matter how big big your business gets, you're gonna hate your your business probably so um find a customer that you love be consistent and, and just keep going and have fun with it i love that man that's a great note to end on and i it's so uh abundantly clear and shines through in everything you do like you are a founder you love founders like you're doing this to help founders get an awesome exit like after the years they put into building their company and i think yeah it's a great great piece of advice to end on it's something you very clearly model and live by so um, keep up the amazing work and yeah we hope you get that uh that twitter handle i think elon probably listens to to this podcast uh pretty avidly every week so elon how are you listening give andrew the handle man the the, the one the one thing i confirm i can confirm is he he ha- he knows Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just I'll, I'll leave it on this. We we did make um an an offer directly to him which was received. Um but that handle is going to the auctions marketplace. So, uh it'll it'll be for sale soon. Yeah. Was was the offer uh, you know, four slices of cake? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, it was, it was for 25000 up front. And then uh, the response back was, uh, we'll wait. We got to wait till the handles marketplace. But he saw it. So, you know. Shoot your shot, guys. Shoot your shot. Andrew, thanks so much for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, Johnny. Thanks for having me.